all of us that became the head coach at Xavier, you always tried to take it for where, where you got it and say, what is it that I can do to move this thing forward? That's become increasingly more difficult as now we're in the Big East and the mm-hmm. success of the past has been attained at so many different levels. I mean, Chris did arguably what I think is the hardest thing to do in college basketball, and that is be a one seed. You're a one seed in the NCAA tournament. That's reflective of a 32-game, six, seven-month years of recruiting to be one of the top four seeds of 370 teams. This is the Sean Miller Podcast, presented by Deer Park Roofing. Now, here's your hosts, Paul Fritchner and Adam Baum. Welcome back to the Sean Miller Podcast. Paul Fritchner, Adam Baum, the head coach of the Xavier Musketeers. Sean Miller, and to my right, a very special guest, joined by a former head coach of the Xavier Musketeers, Chris Mack. To my right, Chris, happy birthday. Thank you for being here today. It is your birthday today, huh? It is. It is. Tiger Woods, LeBron James, Jalen Reynolds, and me. Chris Mack. (laughs) That's quite the crew. (laughs) Well, thanks as always to Deer Park Roofing, our presenting sponsor for helping make this show possible. And thank you to each and every one of you that have listened to this show already through the first 10 episodes. This episode number 11, make sure you follow us on social media at Sean Miller Pod. You subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube. But Chris, it's great to be here. It's great to see you back here at the Cintas Center. It's great to have you here in the building. And uh, just for people that are watching that maybe don't know where you are right now or what you've been up to over the last few years, you've uh, you, you have an opportunity to, to be with your daughters and your family and your son and, and both of your daughters playing volleyball. Yeah. And one of your daughters, the first volleyball commit to Vanderbilt and, and starting their program. So congratulations to her. Thank but uh, we'd just love to hear where you are right now and, and how everything's going for you. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, for the last six, seven months, we've been down in Florida as permanent residents. We've always had a, a second home there. Coach and his wife, Amy, came down for a weekend a couple of years ago. And um, so we've enjoyed that. You know, I've been following, you know, both of my daughters uh, are out of the house. Uh, Haley, who you mentioned, who's committed to Vanderbilt, is actually playing at IMG Academy. Uh, so it's an hour north of us in Bradenton. And then my oldest daughter, Lainey, is a uh, freshman at Flagler College in St. Augustine, Florida, which is premier city in the country. I mean, just an incredible time if you ever are in that area. I mean, like, uh, Wow, big t- tourist attack- attraction type of city. And um, she started all year um, playing volleyball and she's a setter. So, yeah, I've been watching them and um, just spending time with my son and my wife and doing a little bit of field of 68, picking up for Coach Miller's absence. <laughs> That's right. And yeah. uh, I'm anxious to talk to you about that. I'm sure you are. <laughs> but yeah, we've uh, just a lot of volleyball. Um, How's the fishing? Fishing's great. You know, I can go on either side, I go to the inlet, go to the golf. Um, <laughs> And I'm, I'm getting tips from my maintenance guy in terms of, like, what I can keep and uh, fillet and, and cook. And so it's been great. Good. Yeah. Good. Coach, what's it like uh, for you being here? Obviously, you guys go way back. I mean, coaching, I mean, you had hired Chris under his first staff back here at Xavier. And, Chris, you were at Wake Forest before you were here at Xavier and played here for, for so much history. But to go all the way back to the beginning and now to be here like this uh, – what is this like for you and, and to be here talking to each other like this? You know, in, in one way, um, I think it, you know, when you're a younger coach, the way I would frame it is this. When you're a younger coach, you tend to really listen to what the older coaches say. You know, guys that have been through it and maybe are 20, 25 years ahead of you in life. And, you know, they, they almost always give you something like you just, you just don't know yet. You know, uh, wait, you wait. Um, and, and I think like, coming full circle as, as we're here, you know, Chris and I are kind of that guy now, you know, not that we're at the <laughs> very end, not that we're at the end of the rainbow, but I think that, you know, you, you, you look and say, there's a lot of experiences that you go through a lot of great experiences, but in the light, in life and in sports, there's also obstacles and different things that, that hit you and you work through it and overcome it. But I think as we're here full circle, God, it's a much different picture yeah. than it would have been, let's say, 20 years ago when you're young and you're like, hey, we're at Xavier, let's go, right? You almost don't know what's going to happen until it does. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that's, for me, when I when I think about us being here where we are in life in this situation, it's, it's amazing when you're in college sports at this level 
you know, the different experiences that happen. And, uh, and I think like you start to become one of those guys that should be getting, giving advice and not just asking anymore. You feel that way at all? Yeah. I just, uh, I just go back to like when I first interviewed with Sean, you know, which was 2004, somewhere around there, five. And uh, I, I didn't, I knew of Sean. I didn't really know him. Obviously, he was a, he was a great player, followed his career, and, and I knew the staffs that he was on as an assistant at NC State and then here uh, at Xavier with Thad, but I didn't really know Sean. And, um, you know, he was a young head coach when he first arrived here. And, and um, you know, we were all about the same age. We were all trying to, you know, continue Xavier's tradition, um, you know, and to sit here however many years later and all the experiences we've had, both good and bad, I remember – Remember our first year, we were getting booed, <laughs> and, and then you know, full circle to win the four games in four days, and then just sort of where where it went from there. To, uh, to look back um, is is pretty is pretty humbling, you know. And 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 I'm hope I'm more in the middle of the rainbow than, <laughs> than, the, than the end of the rainbow. Um, Grim Reaper over there, but yeah, a lot of experiences that we've had, um, positive, negative, um, but it sort of shapes who you are. Sean, what are some of the first memories that you remember when he talks about his interview and interviewing with you? What are some of the things that you remember from that? Well, you know, I, I, uh, I would say a couple things with Chris. Um, you know, number one is, you know, he, he played the game. You could be a great coach and not play. But I think if you have played and played at a high level, you inherently have some things in your toolbox that, I think can be really advantageous towards a college coaching career. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought that like the first thing that stood out is I mean, Chris could dunk the ball, you know, he, could. He, <laughs> he, he, he had a horrific knee injury. Uh, and if that didn't happen, he probably would have played. He's probably the type of guy who would have played in Europe overseas for many, many years, you know, but I think the first thing that stands out is he combines a love of the game, both playing and then it translates into, into coaching where he's supremely confident on the court. He's got a great command on the court as a coach, like whether it's tactical, feel for the players, being able to teach them. And I always go back to like part of what I believe makes him a great teacher is that he, he was in their shoes. He was in the locker room. He played the game at a very, very high level. So I think that that's one thing that stood out. And I think the other thing, and Chris, you could, you know, add on to this, but you know, he loves Cincinnati. Like, he's from Cincinnati. He grew up here. He right. ate the food. He's one He's one of the people. He, he understood the Crosstown shootout. And, and a lot of his best friends and his family, they're here. And think about it. I mean, he, he played here. He, he coached with, with Coach Prosser, played for Coach Gillen. I mean, was here. So you, you think about how long he's been at Xavier and the different things he, he was a part of. I thought he understood this place better than anybody. And also, uh, I think he loved the Xavier for, mm. for what it was, what it is, and, you know, what it could be. So, you know, when we became together on the staff, I mean, when you're working through recruiting, you're working through coaching, like, he, he had, like, a unique skill set to make our program better because of who he is and his track record here in this city and at, and at this place. Yeah. He's a GCL guy, Coach, you know? Say next, yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, you say the Cincinnati. That's why I'm sitting here with the Bengals fan and the Steelers fan. Somebody yeah. had to sit in the middle. Yeah. I don't know how we lost to those guys both times. <laughs> you know, I, I'm going to be careful on this because I – now that I'm here, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm Joe Burrow, and I know what the Bengals mean to the city, and, uh, and I really <laughs> enjoy watching them. But, I mean, I grew up in Pittsburgh, and it is what it is. I mean, I just, yeah. uh, you know, I had a terrible towel in my backyard <laughs> at six years old and imitated Lynn Swan. And uh, I'm, I'm going to give you a great story, Chris. Oh, God. So I'm at Arizona. I'm the head coach at Arizona. We're in the Pac-12 tournament championship game. We're playing USC. We're lining up for the national anthem. I'm looking right at USC. Place is packed in Vegas, T-Mobile Arena. I look to my left, and in the first row, about 20 feet from me, is Lynn Swan, who at the time was AD. the AD at USC. 
And I had about 10 seconds before the anthem was going to start. And do I go shake his hand? You know, I mean, what, what do I do? Plus, I'm the coach at Arizona. He's the AD right. at USC. So I leave the line. And, I mean, I, I just was literally caught Fan, up in fan the moment. If I have five people that I would just be like, I can't believe I met you, yeah. Lynn Swan would be number yeah. one. one. My, I get that. Top five. Number 88. Yeah. <laughs> so I He'd said, be a lot further Lynn. down on my list, but, you know, I, I understand. Now, I walked out of the national anthem line, and that's when we used to wear suits. Right. We're in the championship game. I'm the head coach at Arizona. We're getting ready to play USC. And I probably caught him off guard. I said, Lynn, Sean Miller, I grew up in Pittsburgh. You know, you were my idol. That's all I can say, man. I just, I just, <laughs> I needed to shake your hand. And he said, John, it's so nice to meet oh. you. <laughs> Probably why he isn't the AD anymore. <laughs> said, it's oh great to meet you, too. Oh I walked back. I couldn't concentrate at the National Anthem. I barely could coach in the next two hours. Oh and I remember gosh. thinking, like, I'm not going to let that moment ruin yeah. how, I, how I envisioned it, you know? But not that he needed to know it, Sean, but I was the coach. I'm like, hey, hey, right. from him. Yeah. look it up in the anyway, program. There sir. you go. The Sean Miller Podcast is brought to you by our trusted friends at Deer Park Roofing. Protect what's important with Deer Park Roofing's industry-leading training, expert attention to detail, and responsive service. From commercial and residential replacements to roof repairs, gutters, and more, request a free estimate today at DeerParkRoofing.com. That's DeerParkRoofing.com. Welcome back to the Sean Miller podcast. Uh, I'm curious, Coach, what was it like being an assistant at the at the very beginning of of Sean's head coaching career? What was it, what was he like as a head coach back then? Really intense. Uh, I think that you know, Sean was saying this before. You know, when I came back to Xavier, everything was familiar. You know, the uh, the arena. I was here with Skip, um, Cincinnati. You know, the hallway. Everything was familiar, except I didn't know Sean that well. And so you're not really sure what your head coach necessarily wants from you as an assistant. And he spelled it out, right? We had, a, we had our philosophy book and talked about responsibilities and duties. And, and I got all that. But I'm talking like the day-to-day -day personality, you know, uh, high energy, you know, what, what kind of – is he more analytical? I have to learn those things, um, you know, from Sean. And I think in the very beginning, like a lot of new head coaches um, – he was, he was, and still is, very hands-on. You know, I think that when you go from being an assistant coach to being a head coach, you're just you're so used to who you've been, where you're calling the recruits, you're, you're running the drills, you're doing things, you're doing the scout. And when you become the head coach, not that you don't do those things, but you have to manage the people that are doing them. Um, and so he was head down Harry, a thousand miles an hour, and he was intense as it gets. I mean, whether we won or whether we lost, um, you know, he was watching tape up in his office until, you know, one, two in the morning. And I watched tape, but as soon as the game's over, um, not when I was an assistant, but when I was the head coach, as soon as the game was over, I'm in a sports bar. I'm getting a couple beers, I'm relaxing, and it's like, I'll worry about that next opponent that night at two in the morning back at the house and then start figuring out what our practice plan is. But he wanted to analyze everything instantly. And so it made for some nights where I'd look at my wife, you know, after we lost, and she'd be up in the stands. And I said, I'm, I'm, we're going to be eating pizza up here and, you know, watching film until one and two in the morning and getting cussed out for a little bit. <laughs> but you're, you're, you're right. Uh, and you still do that, don't you? No. I, I, I don't. Uh, not nearly as. One thing that's changed is, you know, with you can work from anywhere. You know, mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. part of what we all did back then is you had to congregate here. You had to watch the, the video or the film here because you didn't right. have the ability to be Run away from each time. other. You know, one of the things that I think is great now is you could be in your kitchen. You, yeah. you know, we could all be doing a version of what you described, but you don't have to be here together to until 2 in the morning or one thirty in the morning right. or whatever. But, uh, yeah, that's one thing, Chris, I'll tell you that I've, I've certainly learned over the years, and I wish I would have many years ago let go a little more. Um, 
and I think you learn that over over time. But that that goes into that category of you win, you're relieved, you lose, you die, and you reinvent yourself. Yep. And it's like if it, if everything's that serious, at some point, I think no matter how hard you're working or how smart you're trying to be or you know dotting the i's and crossing the t's, like that works against you. And mm -hmm. I would say that for me, that eventually to some degree did me in because you, you can only go that route for so long without mm -hmm. things breaking, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and really you start to break inside, you yeah. know? I think as you get older, you learn the value of, like you said, letting go yeah. and, and empowering an assistant coach. And it's like even underneath out of bounds, like the, I think you're one of the best to ever do it. I mean that when your team takes the ball out under your basket. I think coaches that have coached against you, you know, if they hear me say that, they would shake their head and say, yep. It's just like you're wired differently. I think you got a lot of that from Skip. And then I think it's you, it's your creative mindset and working for Skip because I think he mm -hmm. took that very yeah. seriously as we go. Yep. But I remember, like, talking about that a lot with you. But it was hard for me to let go, not because I didn't trust you, but because, like, what you said yeah. – you're young and you want everything to go right and you know what the easy solution in your mind is well i'll just i'll, I'll kind of do it yeah but what's unique about it is when i left and then you became a head coach i could have predicted that you would be really good in that area but sure enough that's that's what happened like you 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 were able to score at a level that not many head coaches can <laughs> and yet when you're working with me we worked together, but I, in hindsight, I could have turned that over to you back then. And right, but let, let me say this: like that, that was the initial impressions. I mean, don't yeah. don't think for a minute that like over our five years together that like I just sat on the side and, and watched Sean coach. I, I just mean in the very beginning stages, you know, he, we, you have to earn you know trust as an assistant coach under the head coach. You have to learn his personality. Um, I learned so much under this guy, and I'm not going to blow smoke, but, you know, the, the systems that he had in place, uh, I had never really experienced before, you know, both as a player um, and as an assistant coach. And I learned a ton of basketball uh, and whatnot from Skip, from Jim Cruz, from Pete Gillen. But the systematic approach in all areas, from recruiting to how we manage the office to summer camp to practice plans to scouting, um, was incredible. I think a, a part of the, that from you was probably Herb Sendek, who I was never around. Mm -hmm. um, but I like to be very organized, and that that helped me immensely, especially when I became a head coach, to really know how I wanted to organize the program. But I learned all that, you know, really from Sean. You know, I, I, you and I have talked about this, and uh, <clears throat> and I, I like to talk about Skip for a for a minute. You know. I, we we had uh, we played Winthrop and Mark his son was the coach and you know that's the Skip Prosser you know classic that you guys had created before I, I came back and um, <clears throat> but I, I think back to him what a unique person and I, I think that's the first thing you think about when you think of him not a lot of coaches that coach at this level for a long time does the person stand out right away, even more so than the coach himself, right? A lot of times, right or wrong, you almost think about, you know, the name of a coach that he won, he's been in the Final Four, he's won this, or won that. And then then you go to the type of person he is. Yeah. With Skip, it's easy to start with the type of man, just like the person he was. And, you know, you being around him in, at your age and, and watching him, and you and I were together when he passed away. Yeah. I can remember it like it was yesterday. Um, but when you think back to your time with him, how do you describe, you know, his uniqueness and who he was as a person, as a coach? Maybe even like things that you think about probably a lot even today that he gave you. Yeah, I think that like until I became a head coach, you know, coach used to start his practices with uh, he'd try to go in different places within the the arena or the practice gym you know whether it was having the players sit up in the stands whether it was have the players go up to the you know top of the Cintas center whether it was sit in the locker room with them because he wanted things to be to be fresh and his first 10 minutes or 15 minutes of, of addressing the team every day was never about basketball it, it, it was never about basketball it was about 
um, a, a history lesson. Uh, it was about uh, an English writer. It, it, it was about history. It was, it was amazing. Um, number one, you learned a lot. But to watch the players sort of be captivated, they're 18, 19 years old. You know, they're, they're playing video games. And then for them to be able to sit down and, and intently listen as he shaped their lives was, was incredible to watch, you know? And so um, I, I feel forever grateful for coach being able to um, take a chance on me as a high school girls coach to, to become director of operations um, for him and, and, you know, eventually have a coaching career all, all because of Skip. Um, what's really interesting about Skip to me is everybody that you talk to, all opposing coaches, whether they're assistants, head coaches, they have nothing but good things to say about him. It's not because he passed away. They said it during that time. Yeah. While he was alive. Greatest guy. And, and let me tell you something. You could find, you could poll a bunch of people. There's a lot of people that don't like me. There's a lot of people that probably don't like him. Because in, in our business, it's, it's so competitive. You lose a recruit to a guy, you know, you're like, Somebody on your staff say, oh, I cheated. You know, it's just, it becomes such a negative at times because it's such a competitive environment. And Skip had those issues too, but like every person to a man that I've ever run across. Same. So he's such a good person. Mm -hmm. And that you can't find that yeah. in, in college coaching, I don't think. He had a saying, and I know he had these repetitive sayings. Yep. You could probably start rattling them off. But the one that I remember is, you know, I think somebody asked him about, you know, why don't you play so-and-so more or, you know, when, when is so-and-so going to get a chance to play, or, you know, et cetera. And uh, he either tired of the questioning or, or this was his mindset. And he said, look, this isn't Halloween. You know, we're, we're, we, don't, we don't all, like, you know, Halloween, you put on a costume and everybody gets candy. <laughs> right. We all win. And he said, you know, just because you have the uniform on, right. your costume doesn't mean that, you get, you get to play. We're going to play the guys who deserve to play. And, uh, you know, still to this day, when you think about it, it's hard as a coach. You have guys who are really working hard. Mm -hmm. You have guys you know one day will be good, but, they just God, you just can't start them or play them as much right now. They're too young, not ready, need more development. And uh, it's, it's a difficult Balance. deal to pick yep. your starters and how it works. Um, but it was a great answer. I mean, it just, it makes all the sense in the yeah. world. And I think sometimes to the outside world, it's like, hey, why don't you just put him in? Well, because we've practiced 60 times and I think we have a great understanding of who should be doing what. Yep. This is how we do it. Yeah, as a coach, you want to say, because we want to win and we know <laughs> who the best players exactly. on the team or in this environment, in this situation are going to be based on seeing them every day in practice. Yeah, but you know what? When I'm watching the Bengals, I was like, why don't you give this guy a chance? Why don't you put him in there? So we're all fans to some degree at some sport. For sure. The Sean Miller Podcast is proud to partner with Payroll Partners, where you're not just a number. That means providing a best-in-class HR and payroll experience that was built on award-winning technology and live support customer service with a dedicated payroll specialist who's just a phone call away. You shouldn't have to choose between technology and customer service. At Payroll Partners, you get both. Payroll Partners is locally owned and operated by a proud Xavier alum. For more information or to request a free demo, visit payrollpartners.net. That's payrollpartners.net. Welcome back to the Sean Miller Podcast. Now, both of you have played each other in the Sweet 16. And Chris, since it's your birthday and you are the guest on this show, we're going to start with you in 2017 in San Jose. Yeah. Xavier, a two-point win over Sean Miller's Arizona Wildcats in that game. So I'm going to turn the floor over to you on this one and yeah. what you remember from that game and coaching against each other for the second time in the sweet 16 in three seasons. Yeah. The first thing I think of is how fortunate we were to get there. Um, Xavier fans will remember, and we, we, we had some tough news when Edmund Sumner went down and it's just, you know, we had lost six in a row and uh, what was once a sure NCAA tournament lock season was, was in the balance as we went to DePaul. And um, my goodness, beating DePaul and, and just, you know, you go on the road, it's hard enough to win. You have six games in a row that you've lost. You, you, everybody's saying if you don't win, you're not going to the tournament. We thought when we won at DePaul that we were in. And then 
you, you find out later that we weren't, you know, we won a couple uh, in the Big East tournament. So just to have that road to get there, beating Maryland and Florida State, um, just felt fortunate to be there. And then, um, you know, our guys, JP, uh, Trayvon, Malcolm Bernard was huge that game. I don't know if he missed a shot. Um, you know, there was just such a belief as we went to the tournament because while we were on that losing streak of six games, you felt the weight of the world every game going in, whereas I felt like our guys could finally play free and play for something instead of, like, losing something. And um, probably no greater example than the last four minutes when we come out of the TV timeout, we're down seven or eight, and it's like, just play. That's yeah. got to get stops and just play. We had some four. I, I've seen that. My daughters, you know, put that on the DVR all the time the last four minutes. So it's like I can have all those plays memorized. But, like, just – you know, it's interesting. I remember every play of every game. <laughs> I don't remember we were up seven. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I blanked that out. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, Is that true? We were up seven? Yeah. yeah. And, and it's like, you know, we go to the foul line because I think marketing goes over the back. And it was, it could have been a chintzy call if you're an Arizona fan, you know. And it's like, it's clock stopped. You get an opportunity to go down there, you know. Quentin Gooden gets caught in the air and then throws it backwards to, to Malcolm, who hits a three. And at the time, it's like, all right, they cut it to five. But just just the, the sequence of events and how that – and then uh, whatchamacallit's last shot, your, your best player. Alonzo Trier. Yeah, Trier's yeah. last shot was in and out. And um, so it was – it's funny, great feeling, and then and I don't then, remember that either. <laughs> <laughs> Twenty four hours later, we get our asses handed to us by uh, Gonzaga. So it was, uh, but it was, it was a fun run, and with some special, special guys, a really special group. He always yeah. says he hates to coach against his friends. Is that I assume you you feel similar? I mean, it's I don't like look forward to it. Yeah. Um, if that's what you mean, it's like. You know, when, when we lost to Sean in, in the Sweet 16, um, you know, obviously you're devastated for your team and you feel bad, but it's like I, I would rather have somebody that, that I really care about that is moving on, um, you know, versus sort of a nondescript guy I don't know. It just eats at you and eats at you. Yeah. Um, but, y you know, you're going to have connections, maybe not this close of a connection with who you play, but – the coaching community is so close, and, and we run against run into each other all the time. That you're you're gonna play against friends, acquaintances, former um, assistants, uh, things of that nature all the time. You know, I remember about that game, the the San Jose Sweet Sixteen is. Uh, you know, I, I deep down felt, I never felt good, simply because. We had already played you a couple seasons earlier in the Sweet 16, yeah. in the state of California. And it's like you have a couple guys who are young on that first team who are now your best players two years later. And it's like a do-over. And the familiarity with you guys and, and, and what we were doing, in my mind, isn't, isn't advantageous mm -hmm. to the favorite. And the other part of it is it's like, I'm watching the bracket and, you know, who I think you were playing Florida State and whatever, and I'm like, there's no way we're going to end up playing Xavier again. I, I think if it was just once. I felt the same way when I walked by Florida State <laughs> when the teams were, like, walking by each other, going to the practice court. Yeah, I mean, so it, it was unreal. Yeah. I've never yeah. seen a team that imposing. But then I saw you guys beat Florida State, and it was almost like, God, we got to do this again. You know, I mean, that's how I, I felt. I wish I, I didn't feel that way. But I thought, you know, your zone defense. Yeah. And, you know, you came up with it. Was it that year or a year earlier? It was the year we played you yeah. uh, the first time mm -hmm. in Staples Center. You know, Matt, Matt Stainbrook yeah. was a great player, not a great yeah. defensive player. Very intelligent, smart, but had trouble moving his feet. Uh, we decided, you know, sort of go with an unorth unorthodox one-three-one and put him on the bottom just to keep our best rebounder. Yeah, it was great. Close I mean, to the from basket. A, just a coaching perspective, it was a really, really unique. And I was worried about you guys doing that. You know, JP McCura, such yeah. a unique defensive player. Uh, we didn't have what I would call like a true point guard on that team. We had right. the tough guys, combo guards, um, and then Parker Jackson Cartwright against yeah. the zone was smaller. And I was like, God, that zone. And sure enough, I thought you guys, when you put it up against us, 
you almost negated Lowry Markin into some degree. A little bit. I think that was a big part of it. And the other thing, Chris, from from if we're talking basketball perspective, if you're a coach listening to us right now, your scheme with Trayvon Blewett, where you know you would always have him set a screen off the ball. But it was like a trick. It, it was like he's only setting it so that you would switch one. or get off his body, and the next thing you know, boom, he became the shooter. And yeah. we were aware of it, and uh, I'm telling you, we overthought it. Because it was like, look, anytime Trayvon Blewett sets a screen, I don't want you to help. You just kind of stick on him because the play's for him. And then what you started to do in that game, I can remember like it was yesterday, well, well they're never going to help. We'll just hit the cutter. Right. And, and that's what started to happen. I think it was a guy like JP coming yep. off a curl, and there's nobody there, and he's, he's shooting these layups. And I remember saying, I need a timeout to go practice, come back in an hour, <laughs> fix a couple of things here. Yeah. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, in the tournament, there's always two things that I think stand out. Most of the time, you win or lose not on the first shot, but on a second shot or like a loose ball play or something. It, it's not the set play you ran or the coach ran against right. you. It's a player making a play or you give up a rebound and he quick pass. How many times have you seen that yeah. loose ball? Oh, pass to the corner, three, game. Uh, you know, or it's a player rising to the top of his game. Yeah. And at the end, you're like, oh, man, I didn't realize you had that many. And I, I thought Trayvon, Trayvon. blew it. You know, in a Sweet 16 game of that magnitude, he took his game to the highest level. And uh, But I will say this. When you beat us, it was a hard loss for our program and, and, and every, everything about it. But I did have the feeling you talked about, and I was like, you know what? At least these guys are moving on to the Elite Eight, and I'm happy for them. Yeah. You know? One thing it, I, I sticks out to me from that game that we haven't talked about is the last bucket from Sean O'Mara, that kind of over-the-top pass down to him. High-low. High low. That, that high-low, yeah. yeah. And and he kind of split a couple of guys and just laid it in. Yeah. And Sean O'Mara is somebody that always, to me at least, came off as this guy that was just quiet, unassuming, went about his business, but yeah. progressed from somebody that didn't get a lot of minutes his freshman and sophomore year, but was a tremendous asset to the team by his senior year, shot free throws exceptionally well, yeah. and then came up in the biggest moment in that game. It, it was interesting because, you know, we had a timeout right prior to that. And um, as the guys were walking back on the floor, I had given, you know, we were huddled as assistant coaches, head coach, and, okay, this is the play we're going to run. We go in the huddle, we tell them. As guys are dispersing, I start to say in my mind, like, it's too long developing. You know, we, we, we need to go quick so we can go two for one. So as they're walking out, I changed the play. I said, I can't remember the name of the, the play call, but it, it was a high-low, which allowed us to hit Quentin cut to the corner and quickly we're in the play. If, if they front or they're three-quartered on the high side with Sean, because Trayvon's on the other side or he's the passer, his man will be – it, it will be pressed to him. He'll have a little, if he can get open, and he'll have a, a, an ability to sort of throw the high-low pass, and that can only be eight, ten seconds, and then whatever happens on their end, at least we'll get the last shot. And so we roll the ball out, and if you remember, Quentin let it go almost to half court before he touched it, gave us the opportunity to have two for one. Thankfully, we, we, we didn't need it, but I don't know if Sean knew that Markinen was behind him and missed the ball by, like, <laughs> this much. He almost stapled it on the glass, but... Uh, Sean was huge his whole entire senior year yeah. for us. I mean, you're going to get overlooked when you have Hall of Famers like JP and Trey on, on the team. But Sean was huge, not only in that game, but in the tournament in general. Before we get to the game from 2015, I want to ask you about what ended up being your last game as Xavier's head coach, the <laughs> Florida State game, because we talk about playing teams, the same teams in the NCAA tournament. Mm -hmm. Xavier, you you put on, especially in the second half in those last 15 or so minutes. It was like a clinic. Yeah, yeah, one of the most exceptional offensive performances that Xavier, at least in recent memory, that it, it would stick out. And then to have to get matched up again in the NCAA tournament, the selection committee, and they can yeah. say forever that there's no storylines or whatever. But look, you, you yeah. put Florida State back in that bracket in that 8-9 game, and yeah. you, know, you, you win the first game as a number one seed, but you get matched up with Florida State again in the same kind of vein as what we were just talking about. What was that like? Well, it's interesting because, you know, so much of what we got against Florida State the first time when we won, you know, by a large margin was because they didn't switch their five on so many actions, whether it was a ball screen, whether it was an off-the-ball screen, and there were some things that we could do where we knew the five-man would sort of be in trouble based on him never switching. Leonard completely flipped that the next year. They, they started switching one through five everywhere on the floor and have done that all the way uh, up, up until now. And that, that hurt us um, 
it, it didn't allow some of our set plays to be as effective as maybe they were the year before because you didn't know who was going to be matched up with who. The other thing, and I'll go back to this, and I know Xavier fans will like support me in this, J.P. McCure's fourth foul was complete baloney. I mean, we were, I think, up nine, if I'm not mistaken, with about seven and a half minutes left. And we were in the 1-3-1, one, one, and um, um, their best player had the ball at half court, didn't see J.P. And he's a little bit past half court. And J.P. like knocked it from him like he normally does and took a dribble, and he was already crossing half court. He had a, a, a layup by 30 feet, and the referee called the foul at that point. Put them at the line, the one-on-one. One. It was J.P.'s fourth foul. Lead goes to seven, and now it's a different feeling rather than being up 11 with arguably your best player that night on the floor still and feeling good to now he's on the bench for at least three or four minutes, only up seven. Um, that, one, that one will haunt me for a long time. Yeah. All right, Sean, now you go back to 2015, the Staples Center, Los Angeles. That was the Matt Stainbrook Xavier team. But for, for you in the Sweet 16, what was that game like for you to be on the winning end of that? I mean, it, it was great. But but look, I, I knew that uh, that those guys had a great season, and you know we had a chance to win a national championship, and we had that type of team, yeah. you know, and and I knew it was going to be a really difficult game. So a couple things: one, Coach Mack here had Matt Stainbrook shoot a three point shot on the first play of the game. So I knew that he was playing games with me in my mind. I mean, <laughs> that's interesting. You, that's that interesting. In, I know. Uh, that's interesting that, that you, know, you I remember you did that. on purpose because it's like he doesn't shoot threes and look at him. He's, let, he's going that let it fly mentality. And, <laughs> you know, and, and look, that's the part of the tournament. Heavy favorite. Yeah. Pressure of the world. You've got better Trying get to, to the more final pressure four. On. Are you ever going to get to the final <laughs> four? And this seven-footer, Keeve is the three. In and out. Uh, I remember thinking, oh, God. Uh, but, <laughs> we tried. So... That's one. And, and number two, you know, one of my favorite players that I've coached uh, during my time is TJ McConnell. And, you know, on that team, if you would have pulled NBA general managers and opposing coaches, everyone would have said, boy, I love the way he plays. He's clearly your team's heart and soul. But I, I don't think anybody in their right mind could say he's going to play in the NBA for 12 years, potentially lead the NBA in steals in a year. And you know, be one of the most popular, like, backup second unit players in the last decade of the NBA. And, yeah. and he's still playing, right? So know this, that back then on game night, it wasn't like we thought of him in those terms. But in my mind, uh, I really believed in him, you know? And the one thing about TJ is he would always have a chip on his shoulder. Like, it's what drives him to who he is today. Like, he doesn't believe in me. Watch this, you know. Yeah. This guy did this. Watch this. And it's just how he's wired. So I brought him in before we played Xavier, and I said, TJ, I want to tell you something. Coach Mack is one of my good friends. He's a heck of a coach. I think you know this now. We're in for a war, right? He, he didn't think you were good enough to play for Arizona. I, I want to let you know that. <laughs> I called him. Uh, I asked him. <laughs> Number one, he didn't think you were tough enough. I made that up. Number two, uh, I, I, didn't, I, I don't think he thought you could shoot the ball. I don't know if he thinks, like, in a game like this, oh that you're wired God. to win. No wonder he didn't shake my hand in the post-game line. <laughs> <laughs> and I just said, this might help me 2%. There's no chance that me doing this is going to hurt at all. It probably helped more than that because between that and J.P. Makura just, you know, talking to him the whole game, he's one of those guys, and J.P. is like that yeah. as well, I think. It just brings Feeds out the, the best in him. Yeah. yeah. So I remember thinking, like, I might as well take advantage of that. Yeah. And, and, Coach, if you remember, we all get things right or wrong. You were one of my first calls, and I'm like, tell me about this guy, T.J. McConnell. And I think it's not like you said he couldn't play, but I think you would say – He's good, but, like, would he be good enough to be the starting point guard at Arizona, yeah. right? You don't want that You don't want that on you. You know, I, I don't want to see a guy there the next year that, that's struggling, and I'm the, I, I endorsed him. Obviously, TJ, we played against yeah. him, and, you know, he was a terrific player. He's hard to handle. He didn't back down from Holloway when he was a freshman. Yeah. So you, you knew he could play, whether he's going to be all Pac-12, certainly a 10-year-plus NBA player, like, no yeah. idea that would happen. But in, I bring that up because as I think back to that first Sweet 16, he was the difference. Yeah. He made big shots at the end, and, you know, we just – it was a battle. I mean, we could have lost – I can make the case that we had a 
we've had a better chance of losing that first one than, than the second one if you go throughout bo how both games felt. Right. It's just one changed at the end and the other one we, we hung in there and made plays. But the fact that, you know, I'm at Arizona, way out there, and we're going through the tournament the two different times we're in the Sweet 16. It's, it's really, it's one of the most remarkable things of, of this story that, you know, that, the connection, that, that it, it stayed connected, for sure. sure. The thing I remember about that, and I remember it happened in the second game, too, when we played. We, we could not get a rebound out of our zone. Mm -hmm. You know, as, as effective as I thought the zone was and gave them issues at times, um, when the shot goes up, you're not really responsible for your man. You're responsible for a man in your area. And if there are multiple guys opposite when the shot goes up, it's like, who am I blocking out? The 6'9 guy here, the 6'5 guy mm -hmm. here. And, you know, we, we could not get a defensive rebound a lot of the time to give them second possessions or second chance points that, you know, ultimately did us in. Um, but Sean's right. Like, I think that game, you know, we had had the lead at least in the first half. Mm -hmm. and the second half was sort of going back and forth. Well, I, I felt like outside of one run, the second time we played, you know, we were playing from behind a large majority of the second half. But You know, game pressure is, is sure. something that I, I've learned to talk a lot about because uh, I think it's so true, game pressure. Yeah. You know, the heavy favorite, the closer it gets to the end, to some degree it works to their advantage. That's why yep. they're the favorite. But... It depends on the circumstances. Sometimes it can work to the disadvantage, you know? Yeah, and I think that, like, um, you know, for us, that was a, a big part of it. First, if we can, if we can make it a 4.5 point game yeah. with six, seven minutes left, they'll realize, oh my goodness, yeah. we might lose this. That's and, right. and that's, yeah. you know, that, that shortens the game up for your guys. You know, it, it doesn't put the pressure of you. You have to be up. You have to be winning. You don't have to. You have to make it a game so that they know it is down the stretch. And I think that's one of the keys to the tournament. Like, yep. can you unleash your group, your team, your best players to play free, to, to have confidence in a good way, to not feel that game pressure in a negative way. Correct. But to actually allow that to bring out the best in them. And I, I think that, you know, some teams, programs, maybe even coaches – are better at that than others, but you know, no, no doubt the tournament, and that's that's what that's what makes college basketball so special. It's 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 what we what we're talking about right now. You can literally recite plays, strategies, and points from two separate games that happened some time ago. Yeah. You know, and so can I. The Sean Miller Podcast is brought to you by Deer Park Roofing. And their company motto is protect what's important. Deer Park is not just another storm-chasing roofing company. They're invested in your community and truly care about the people in it. You can trust them to do the job right. Deer Park has highly trained professional technicians who make sure your residential or commercial roofing system is installed correctly and quickly. For a free estimate, visit DeerParkRoofing.com today. That's DeerParkRoofing.com. Sean, Chris, both of you began your head coaching careers here at Xavier, but you both left for other opportunities. And Sean, I'll start with you. You left to become the head coach at Arizona. Uh, Chris, you left to become the head coach at Louisville. But Sean, um, going back to that decision to start here, but to then leave for something else, what do you remember about that decision-making process? Maybe what you talked to Chris about when he was going through that process himself and now where you are being back here at Xavier? Yeah, you know, it's, it's hard to go back in time. I, I, certainly, I was really torn, and it had nothing to do with the place that I was going, Arizona. It had everything to do with I was here for eight years. You know, five as the head coach, but three previous to those five People here treated me great. Like Chris said, first year, you know, you take over as a young coach, your record is zero and zero. And look, not everybody was saying, hey, we got our guy. <laughs> or this is going to work out great. But w what we developed into was something that we all had a lot of pride in. I mean, we were mm -hmm. a tough-minded team. We were a good program. And, and I, I think like all of us that became the head coach at Xavier, you always tried to take it for where, where you got it and say, what is it that I can do to move this thing forward? That's become increasingly more difficult as now we're in the Big East and the mm -hmm. success of the past has been attained at so many different levels. I mean, Chris did arguably what I think is the hardest thing to do in college basketball, 
and that is be a one seed. You're a one seed in the NCAA tournament. That's reflective of a 32-game, six, seven-month years of recruiting to be one of the top four seeds of 370 teams. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so difficult. And everyone's going to remember, well, what did you do once the tournament began? And that works both ways for coaches, right? Sometimes you could be the 12 seed and get to the Elite Eight or the yep. Sweet 16. Sometimes you're the one seed and it doesn't work out. But to be a one seed, so the, the point of the very long-winded answer here is you have so much pride in being able to inherit the program, be responsible for moving it forward. And if, you, in fact, you accomplish that, it's not easy to say, I'm out. Um, you know, let's move on. Like you become attached to Cincinnati, to Xavier's university, to the great people that work here. And, and you know what else? To your players that you convinced to bring here, that you coach, that have worked really hard. When it's time to leave, it's not all what perception is. Oh, he's leaving. It must be easy for him. Nah, it's not. So it was very, very difficult. Um, the fact that I, that I did it back then, I tried to do it for all the right reasons, and there's always, you know, the pluses and minuses of doing it. But one thing that I will say, in the 13 years that I was gone at Arizona, I never lost respect or appreciation for Xavier. And some of it was easy because, you know, Chris was here and people that I really care about were here, but I never lost that. Like, I, I always inherently followed Xavier really closely, respected Xavier. And we're talking about the two times that we matched up, right? <laughs> so that always remained inside of me. But to leave here was very difficult, not because of the place that I went to, but because of how strong, strongly I felt about this place and in, in, in the yeah. city. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, I, I was in a place that... Uh, I was devastated that that, that we lost to, to Florida State. I mean, I just, you know, we had had Trayvon and JP and Sean, um, you know, for four years. And, um, you know, I had opportunities before that, but it just felt like with those guys, one seed felt like everything was rolling. The game was in – and I don't want to say in hand. That's, 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 that's wrong because obviously it wasn't. But ju just thought that it – you know, the year before we were in the lead eight, this is, this is sort of our destiny. And the next thing you know, it's just – you're looking at Karim Canner and Sean, those guys with tears in their eyes in the locker room. And it was, it was the, the hardest time I think that, that I'd been through as a head coach. And then you're faced with that decision, like within 48, 72 hours, like, and um, you know, I, I think a lot of things were misinformation out there that, you know, I had had something going on for so long with Louisville and it's so far from the truth. And, 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 um, you know, for me, Sean had said he was here for eight years. I was here for 14 straight, right? Uh, 14 straight. And, you know, felt like at the time I wanted to take on that challenge. You know, I think retrospectively you could say, um, hey, it was the wrong decision, but I, I don't ever look at it like that. I, I look at it like those things shape you. You know, just as I went through my, my knee injuries when I played here, I went through two ACLs and uh, a third when I got done playing, that if those things hadn't happened to me, I wouldn't be the man or the person that I am. And so, um, you know, going to Louisville uh, was a decision more about the, the next challenge. Uh, had I known that the NCAA was never going to come out with the decision for four years while I was there, um, the decision probably would have looked differently. But uh, I, don't, I don't have regrets. Um, I, I mean, I, I love everything about Xavier. I felt like we, we uh, pushed ourselves to as, as far as, as, as we got, and it was just disappointing at the end. And I, I think that probably let, left a bitter taste in a lot of people's mouths. But, um, you know, for me, it was about the next challenge. And um, who knows what my next challenge is beyond that. But uh, it was a hard decision. Uh, but at the time, I felt like it was the right one for me. But if you look at how many years you spent in Xavier, as a player, two, three? Three. Three. I'd sit out a year. Yeah, three. You were the director of ops with Skip for two. two. So you're up to five. You were you, with me for uh, five. Now we're at ten. And then you're the coach. Nine. nine. I mean, when you're at a place. And I think in, in that time, we 19, went to like 17 NCAA tournaments in 19 years. No doubt. Years, I was so. going to say that. You know, there's a stat that came out that since the the creation of the NCAA tournament 
as a 64-team field, and then it became 68, which I believe is in the 1980s. 85. 85. 1985. From 1985 until this moment, we're talking, ranked the most total wins. Not, not wins in the NCAA tournament, but, you know, from just game wait, one all the way to the end of the season. And I think our program is right at number 10. 11. Number 11. Think about that. That's incredible. I think more than any stat, if you want to just talk about the true history of this place from a basketball perspective, to be able to say that since 1985 should make any player, any coach, anybody that's affiliated or a fan of Xavier basketball to be able to say that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, and the current head coach to have the weight of the world on his shoulders to keep that streak <laughs> up. It is what it is. <laughs> well, I mean, you're at this point, you're the all-time winningest coach here, but you're, He's gonna pass you're me. Right, at, right on the heels. Yeah, I know. Right on the heels. He's going to pass me. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll, we'll see. That's a, that's a tall, tall order for sure. But, no, Chris did uh, – I mean, he really did an incredible job here. Um, I remember being at Arizona in my first year there and we inherited a, a real a real change over uh, from from maybe a, the previous three or four years, and then I showed up as kind of like the fourth coach in four years. Almost doesn't sound right, right? The fourth coach in four years, but you know we were going to try to get one foot on the ground and see where it went as a new staff at Arizona. And I would watch the next year a lot of guys we were together with, and mm -hmm. we had a great group coming back. Jordan Crawford joined the team, and Mark Man, Lyons special. joined the team. And uh, watching them, I, I remember watch. I watched the game uh, against uh, Kansas State, double overtime double or triple. Overtime. Yeah, double overtime. Yeah, it seemed like quadruple it overtime. Did. It just went going on and on. But they were getting ready to play Brad Stevens and Butler in the Elite Eight to go to the Final Four. And I remember saying, like, "Man, I think Chris is going to go to the Final Four in, in his yeah. first in his first year." You know, like, man. Uh, but that was a great team. Oh, well, yeah. And then I think, again, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think if you would have been here, that might have kept Derek Brown one more year. Could be wrong. Yeah. But um, regardless, that team was, was really good. a talented team yeah. and a very focused team. And had we been fortunate enough to move past Kansas State, we would have played Butler who we lost to with the whole clock episode. I think our guys would have been loaded for bear and yeah. who knows. But Look, the one thing that I, that I thought back to uh, when we were talking about this is when it all ends and you're in the NCAA tournament and the game ends and only one team will, will end as the winner, how does it feel? Like in that locker room, like when you look at your players and it's, it's really undescribable, isn't yeah. it? I mean, to some degree. Sometimes, though, it's almost like joy from the perspective of, look, we got as far as we could. Right. Like, I mean, this is an amazing season. Last year for us was like that, yeah. right? to some yeah. degree. Like, you're like, we got back to the tournament. We're in the Sweet 16. We lost to a good Texas team. Man, we had a great run. You guys should be proud. Yep. I mean, you set the tone for a lot of great things. And happy for you, proud, proud to be your coach. And, uh, Man, let's just enjoy all of our hard work, right? I, I felt that same way when we lost to you the first time. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Arizona, I felt that way when we lost to Kansas State, as hard as it was to see Jason Love and those guys that were wearing the uniform for the last time. Um, but I felt that way. And there are other tournament moments, I'm sure you've had them, that, uh, you know, Wisconsin, you yeah. know, in, in St. Louis, just, just completely horrible locker room, just yeah. the devastation. Same thing against Florida State. And it's just uh, – as but, my old high school coach said, the sun will come up tomorrow, but you never feel like it's going to. Yeah, but, but the reason why I brought it up is my last game the first time, which should have been your last game as the assistant coach and became the head coach next year, we lost to Pitt in, <laughs> in Boston. Yeah. And it Derek was the Brown's only time foot. in Xavier, I mean this, that in that locker room, as hard as it was, you know, that word joy – of like, but we accomplished so much, fellas. I never had that feeling of joy. And I only give you that because to me, it, it says a lot of where the expectations mm -hmm. went to and the tone that was set, like, no, 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 
I'm not, I'm not going to give you an ounce that this was good enough. We, we can do better. Like, it, it was almost like, uh, I think when you talk about moving the program forward, yeah. and I don't know if that's the healthy response, but I think it, like, when you talk about that next year's team, that actually was how I think you guys yeah. you know, would have felt simply because you, know, you were going, like, Elite Eight, Sweet 16, we got everybody back. No, no, no. We deserve to be here, and the expectation now is that we, we're going to be here and we're going to we're going to yeah. break through. Um, and then when you get in that mode and it doesn't happen, and that takes on a whole yeah. new dynamic, you know. The Sean Miller Podcast is proud to partner with Payroll Partners, where you're not just a number. That means providing a best-in-class HR and payroll experience that was built on award-winning technology and live support customer service with a dedicated payroll specialist who's just a phone call away. You shouldn't have to choose between technology and customer service. At Payroll Partners, you get both. Payroll Partners is locally owned and operated by a proud Xavier alum. For more information or to request a free demo, visit payrollpartners.net. That's payrollpartners.net. Net. Welcome back to the Sean Miller podcast. It, Sean, we were just talking about what it's like to not be in coaching and, and to be removed from the game and, and where you were at that point and, and now where Chris is here and how you see the game. For me and, you know, Chris and I, I, I would say the one difference between the two of us is he's much more well-rounded and, you know, has other interests <laughs> Uh, I can certainly be accused of being one-dimensional. My wife would be the first person to bring that up. But when you are single-minded and one-dimensional, uh, which I would consider myself to be more in that field, when uh, you know a game is taken away or a team and it's the first time ever you don't play assistant, head coach, and it's like you don't have a season, you're at Thanksgiving you're like, Shouldn't I feel stress of our players' uh, practice or the, when's the next game? How about Christmas break? Are they all going to return? What's that first practice going to be like? When all that disappears, it's a, it's a different feeling. And I, I think what I got back to is, look, I love basketball. I, I really do, and I'm not going to walk away from it. Like, I really love the game. I, I do. I loved playing it. I love everything about it. Uh, you know, the pressure of winning and, and all that, you know, that, that's something that's I'll put over here. But just the sport itself – I can't, I refresh myself of, I love the game. And that's why I coach. Yeah. And uh, I think that's the healthiest way. And that's, I think the most realistic way I can bring in context what it felt like to not have a team or have the sport. Yeah, I mean, I'm with Sean. I mean, I love the game. I, I absolutely, from the time I, you know, was started playing in the third grade, uh, to now, I mean, he, he, Sean will tell you, even if I go in, in a gym or walk by an outdoor hoop, I'm not just going to walk inside. I'm going to shoot. I just I can't get it out of my system. Um, and so the oddest thing is to go from 24-7 where who didn't go to class, who do I have to call recruiting-wise, you know, what, what's the next step play we have to hit, practice plan. I mean, just – 24-7 to, like, zero. I mean, it's, it's like driving a car 100 miles an hour and then not just gradually stopping, stopping at zero. Um, has been just surreal, like life-changing, you know? And, and so I don't think you can truly appreciate it because, listen, everybody works hard. People have, have jobs. But, like, our job never really stops. Even when you go on vacation, you, you know, you're worried about, like, when I get back or somebody get in trouble, it just, it just never ends. And that, that part for me... To be honest, to get away from it um, for a while, it's been very refreshing. And I think, you know, you talk about recharging your batteries or uh, getting in a different place. I, I, needed, I needed to get away from that. I didn't need to get away from the game of basketball or being part of a team. That part's been really hard. Um, fortunately, I've been able to follow my daughters and, and you know, love to watch their teams, but it's, it's not the same. You know, I'm just a volleyball dad with, you know, IMG or Kiva or <laughs> Flagler across my chest. So um, who knows? I've tried to be a, a soccer coach for my son. He played football this year. I don't know anything about football, so I just sat on the sidelines and I, and I teach him basketball. But uh, who knows where that, where that you know, will lead for me. You know, that's the other thing me. that's different between us, Chris. Like where my three sons are, 
you know, in yeah. life versus your family. Your yeah. family's a lot younger. So, you know, I almost feel like, you know, Braden is a senior at Arizona. He's finishing. He's going to graduate. Wow. You know, Cameron is with us here at Xavier, and he graduated from Arizona. Austin is a, an attorney in Denver. <laughs> he went to law school at the University of Denver and, and uh, graduated from Arizona as well. It's crazy because when I was coaching under Sean, like his they kids were, were yeah, they they're like, like yeah. third grade, yeah. fourth grade. And I've got a third grader who's actually <laughs> going to come to your practice today. And um, so it's, it's, um, it's different when your kids, you know, are older and out of the house. And we just sort of have both at this point. So, you know, it's like, hey, now that you don't have the, the, the game or a job, uh, you get to spend more time with them. And, and they're kind of looking at, back at me like, <laughs> I'm good. Like, <laughs> when are you gonna are you gonna coach again? Like, what's your next step, Dad? Like, you know, like I always felt like they're looking at me like, no, you're you're not gonna just like hang out right. and do play video <laughs> games and like, like you need to come on, let's go. You know, yeah. like they, yeah. I almost felt like they were giving me one of those like, come on, man, what's the next step here? Uh, yeah. Which is interesting, right? Because it, it makes sense based on where they are in life, and yep. you know, they have a different. A different my girls, the, my girls are. <laughs> right behind me pushing me to, yeah. to coach again yeah and uh, i will if, if it's if it's the right situation yeah it's interesting because i watched joe flacco with the browns and i know john fan will be excited um <laughs> talk about his experience now as the quarterback where his boys are old enough to appreciate what he's doing like the, his boys are following the nfl mm. and now it's like dad is like throwing passes in the game whereas before they were three and two mm. and didn't really know. And I feel like that's how Braden, my son, uh, would be uh, if I got back to him. Any game that I've ever coached prior to this, mm -hmm. like he's facing the wrong way, eating pizza <laughs> right, or with, right, or with yeah, the yeah, band yeah. during the game. So <laughs> I feel like he might actually watch a, a half or two uh, if I got back into it. Yeah. Most crushing loss that I ever experienced, in a, and I think there's a, about five or six that are really close is uh, losing to Ohio State mm. in that second round of the NCAA tournament when we were together. Greg Oden and Thad was the coach at Ohio State. And it really had nothing to do with Thad being the coach at Ohio State. They were a one seed, and they ended up losing to Florida in a national championship game. But that game was over. I mean, uh, it, it was just it was going to go down as a Sweet 16 appearance and one of the great victories ever for this yeah. program and university. And it unraveled in such a bizarre way that, I, I mean, if you played that out 20 times, I don't think it would happen twice. I think Cage was 8-8 eight eight or 7-7 seven seven from the foul line. You know, we had just had a timeout before he went back on the floor and, and had two shots. And it's like as a coach, um, you know, Sean's not going to say, hey, if he misses one, just, yeah. just to put pressure on the guy. Um, you know, obviously you changed your philosophy. I remember that day, he's like, I'm, I'm never not fouling ever yeah. again. Um you know, revisit the, the Greg Oden shove, all that. But, like, uh, that bus ride back here, what was the quietest I've ever been yeah. on a bus? And I remember Withrow or somebody was playing a district title championship game here and we pulled up to the Centos, and I, I just felt like a zombie. I, I could not yeah. believe what had happened two hours ago up in Lexington. It was down yeah. in Lexington. That was, that was a hard But, again, one. it fueled the next year, the next yep. year, and the next year. That's, again, moving the program, building a program, like yep. going from where it is to, like, you know, uh, and, I, and I thought, you know, in some ways, probably months later, you said, you know, this, this must be how it feels yep. when you're growing, you know, when you're, yep. when you're adding to what has already been done. Yep. I think it's worthwhile to point out, I have an, an appreciation for this, that, like, you guys both started here. You went somewhere else, and now it's like we're sitting in the Centos Center right now on the Sean Miller podcast, and you guys are reunited. Um, it's kind of interesting how life may work out the way that it does sometimes. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, for sure. And, and, you know, publicly we're reunited, but, like, Sean and I have you know, remain close, and, yeah. you know, he'll call me and say, hey, that one play that you ran when you did this, this, <laughs> did that – or, um, you know, j just just things of that nature, just staying in touch with him. That, that's never really gone anywhere. Um, no, I, I can't say that I'm 20 feet from his office on most days, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the field of 68, they both kind of took us on. And, uh, you know, when you look at that team, you're a part of what stands out. Um, I, I think what stands out the most is you have to be prepared. Yeah. You know, I, I felt like 
okay, you want you want me to be on the show? I'll, I'll talk a little bit about college basketball, but you have to be on your P's and Q's. You know, you, yeah. you get somebody's wrong position, you pronounce their name wrong, like you talked about, um, you, you throw the wrong statistic out, and that fan base is on you. So no it's question. like I, whatever two or three games are being played that night, I, I better make sure I, I watch them and I know what I'm talking about. For sure. I, I got a brand new appreciation for the preparedness and yes. all that goes into, you know, media people covering college basketball and just knowing names, knowing injuries, knowing who's playing well, who isn't, and being accurate with it because the to total information that you have is just so massive. Yet that one fan and that one fan of just that player, just that team, you mispronounce his name or you say, hey, he played well. And, no, 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 he didn't even play. He was hurt. Right. I mean, it's like you don't know what you're talking about. You're not prepared. And, <laughs> and then, you know, <laughs> it really brought perspective for me yeah. of how difficult that job is. Well, and then, you know, Goodman and Fanta and Douster and the, the guys that run it don't put you in the greatest position. No, Because Goodman. they'll, they'll no, say, no okay, who's going to win the ACC? <laughs> and the moment you give one team, which you have to, right, the other 15 teams in the league are firing tweets at you like, <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. Like, yeah. you know, shut your mouth, Mac. Like, that's why you're not at Louisville anymore. Anymore. It's like, hey, buddy, I'm just doing <laughs> yeah. what my boss asked me, you know? And, and here's the other point. Like, since I've been off the field of 68, those guys always say, God, you're a little long-winded when you're on there. <laughs> I'm like, well, if I didn't talk, that means you would have to talk more, and who wants to listen to you? I was trying to actually do my job. And, you know, Fanta, I mean, he, he is – he he. He's in heaven right now because the Browns. The Browns, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, it's, he needs it's knocked the worst. down a little bit. No, no question, he he needs knocked down. He's a great bit. for college it'll, basketball. It'll happen. He really it'll is. Yeah. Knowledgeable, passionate, hardworking, yes, super talented and funny, and uh, yeah, no, he's 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 fun. I will say that group right there. You always remember those that that were good to you when when uh, it would have been easy to not be good. Yeah. Uh, they were always there for me. I'm I'm forever attached to to those guys, and we had a great time. And there's some there's some moments during that year that it was some of the funnest times yeah. uh, for me. And it again back to the game, it, it kept you connected for to the sure. Game, and I'm sure you feel that way. I, I totally feel that way, and I, I have an appreciation for um, you know the relationships I have in college basketball. And when you're not in it, you know you're not talking to those guys right. all the time. And it's amazing to me. Um, you know, how many coaches, whether they're assistants or head coaches, actually, you know, watch the show at midnight. And sometimes I'm sure they're mm -hmm. maybe listening to the podcast on their way to work the next day or whatnot. But, um, you know, it's it's kept me connected with, with some of those relationships I have in college basketball. Well, Coach Chris Mack, thank you very much for being here today on your birthday, taking taking some time here to be here and to be back at the Cintas Center and to be a part of the Sean Miller podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate you being here. Thanks, Coach. Bob Nungie still remains the one and only person that's turned us down. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we've talked. It was hard for him and I to talk after that for a while, but we're starting to repair the damage that was done by him doing that. But he's uh, he's on crutches. You know, he had an ACL injury, mm -hmm. and he's post-surgery. He's doing better. But we'll see where we go from here. But, yeah, he's the one guy that didn't, didn't take up the offer. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks to everybody for watching the Sean Miller Podcast. As always, make sure you subscribe. If you're watching this on YouTube, and you can follow us on social media at Sean Miller Pod. And if you're listening to this in audio form, you can find it on all major podcast platforms. Uh, again, thanks for watching. This has been the Sean Miller Podcast, presented by Deer Park Roofing, with your hosts, Paul Fritschner and Adam Baum. Join us again soon for another episode with the head coach of the Xavier Musketeers, Sean Miller.